Um, this week we are uh, in Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 12 through 42. Uh, if you have a Bible and you want to find that passage, Acts 5, verses 12 through 42, um, we are going to see a, another great picture of the first church, and that's what we're doing, going through the book of Acts together, uh, is looking at the early days of that very first church, who they were, what they did, how they practiced their faith in Jesus, um, and we are hoping to see in them and learn from them a little more of who they were, what they did. Uh, to help maybe shape who we are and what we do as a church as well. So uh, there was an incredible start in the book of Acts to the church, uh, incredible days following Acts chapter 2 when the church started over the past couple of weeks with all of this good going on in the church. Uh, we have begun to see that there is a lot of pressure on the church as well. There is pressure from within, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Um, last week we talked about them as, as hypocrites and pretenders, and there's pressure from outside of the church as well, particularly the religious leaders. But it's not just the religious leaders. Um, the church was found itself in, in a culture that was not necessarily always friendly to the church. So there was the pressure from within, there was pressure uh, from outside of the church. The religious leaders had already arrested Peter and John once and threatened them and threatened the entire church through them. Uh, and this morning what we see is the religious leaders turning up that pressure, and we'll see a second arrest and even worse. So I'll tell you in advance, what, what, what I want us to ask as we go through this is to pay attention to um, how this first church responded, responded to um, a, cult that, a culture that was um, adversarial, and to the religious leaders who stood against them. How would that church respond? How do we respond? How do we respond to a, a growing culture who often stands against us, against our message, and against the mission that God has given to the church? So a lot to cover there. Let's pray together and then jump into this and pray with me. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be especially good this morning to encourage us. Um, I, I pray that Jesus would be greatly lifted up, and, and pray with me as well. I'll tell you, I, I don't want this to be a, a, another sermon about try harder and do more. Um, I, I want this to be a sermon that, that, that helps us to see Jesus and his beauty. So pray with me that the Lord would help me to do that and help us to see him in all his glory this morning. Would you do that? Would you pray with me? Good. Let's pray together. Father, um, I do thank you for the day. I thank you for your people who are gathered. I thank you for this beautiful mission that you've called us to. I thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus, the reason that we are here. And I pray that we wouldn't forget that, 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 that Jesus and, and his work, that's why we are here. Um, I, I, that's what shapes us. It, it shapes why we gather. It shapes what we should do daily during the week. It, it shapes everything about us. So help us today, Holy Spirit, help us today to see Jesus, to see how this first church reflected him and how he came, how he came into the world, how, how he came into culture, how he responded to 
uh, the pressures and everything that was against him, against, against the same mission that we have. Help us. Shape us into the image of Jesus. Help us today to, to see him more beautifully. Help us today to love him more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to give you um, just a little bit of a reminder of what we've seen over the past couple of weeks from, from Luke because the events today just roll right out of those and into this. So in chapter 4, uh, Peter and John were arrested and they were brought before the religious leaders for sharing the gospel in the temple. Now, Jesus had said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. This was a follow-up to the Great Commission. Jesus told them, you are to tell everyone about me. Now, here's, here's another side of that is rather than seeing this as just a command from Jesus, you guys should be telling people about me, um, the news of Jesus was incredible news. And, and, and that news, the, the, the really beautiful and great news of Jesus, was not something that they felt obligated to tell people about. It was something that was so joyful and overwhelming with the gospel that it doesn't bring us joy anymore. And so I pray, you know, Lord, renew in us the joy of our salvation. That we would see this news as, as beautiful as it truly is. And like them, we would be, be filled not with this duty to do something, but with joy over what Jesus has done for us. That's where they were. And so um, they are telling people all about Jesus, sharing where people are gathered, and that's in the temple, uh, sharing with their Jewish uh, family um, the gospel. You know, Jesus has come. And, and the religious leaders are not happy with that. They arrest them. Uh, they warn them to stop. They warn the church, you know, you got to stop talking about Jesus. And then they set them free because they don't know what else to do with them. They go back to the church, Peter and John and they tell the church um, what happened. And rather than cowering, uh, the church prayed. They prayed to their sovereign God. We talked about this. Their sovereign and all-powerful God. They prayed that God would give them the courage to continue to proclaim the beautiful gospel, the beautiful news of Jesus, while God did amazing things by his power. And God did. God continued to do amazing things by his power, and God gave them a, a, an outpouring of his grace in the form of courage, and they did. They spoke the gospel again and again and again with joy. Um, what we see after that threat and their faithfulness as they share the gospel is the church growing. The church is just continuing to grow both in number and in their relationship with one another. And we saw last week how they were all of one heart and they had all things in common, selling their possessions, whatever they had, so that they could meet the needs of the people in their family. The church was doing great, except for Ananias and Sapphira. We talked about them. They were hypocrites um, who were in the church. They were pretending to believe in family. If Jesus was who he said that he was or, or not, but I know that they didn't believe in family like the rest of the church did, and they didn't believe in mission like the rest of the church did. They were pretending to live the same life. They were lying to the apostles and worse they were lying to God, so God struck them dead. 
Um, fear came over the whole church and even in the community. Fear came over everyone who heard about what had happened. And from there, we roll right into chapter 5, verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hand hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, remember, they had prayed that God would continue to do these amazing signs and wonders, and that when he did, they would have the courage to continue to proclaim the gospel, and that's what we're seeing right? Not only are we seeing that, right? If we step back from that, we see something even bigger, um, a, a beautiful picture here of the promised kingdom that is breaking in, the promised kingdom that is breaking into a dark and fallen world. These weren't just random events. These weren't just random events. They, they, they were even bigger than just the unleashing of the Holy Spirit. This isn't a picture that we are given uh, of exactly what every day should look like for us as believers. This is God in a very special day and in a very special way saying to his people, the kingdom has come. What we are seeing is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. If we go back to the Gospels, the word kingdom is mentioned about 126 times, um, numerous times. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. Numerous times as Jesus was teaching, he would say that the kingdom was at hand. And what I want us to see is that what is happening what was, was really the unfolding of God's plan to redeem and restore all things to himself as they should have been before sin entered into the world. Like this, is, this is a big picture of history and what God is doing in history. God promised that he would send a king. He, he would send a king and establish his kingdom, the kingdom of God, as it should be, as it should have been. And, and he promised that when he did, um, that, that kingdom, when he established that kingdom, in the kingdom and with his king, there would be forgiveness, forgiveness of sin, there would be freedom from bondage, and, and there would be no more lame and no more sick, no more sickness, no more, no more fighting, no more war, none of that. That was, was a picture of what the kingdom would look like. Isaiah 35, there are so many Old Testament passages that describe this kingdom that was promised to come. Isaiah 35 is one of them. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and, and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Verse 5, when he comes, 
When he comes to save you, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And I'll stop right there. The king was promised. The king was promised and he had come. His name is Jesus. And when he came and we read about him in the Gospels, we see that he healed many and he cast out demons. And these were not just signs of of his power and authority. They were signs that he is indeed the promised king and that the kingdom that the prophets foretold of had come. It was breaking into the darkness of our broken and fallen world. The message of the disciples that we read about in Acts is exactly the same. Jesus is the promised one. The king has come, and and this is his kingdom present. Now, remember a couple of weeks back when we looked at Peter and John, and they were a part of many being healed, and in the temple when they they healed the the man who had been lame since birth and couldn't walk, and he's up and he's running and jumping and and all of that, and the people come and they look to Peter and, and John, and they are like, wow, look at what an amazing thing that you guys have done, and Peter says, why are you looking at us? This isn't about us. This isn't us at all. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob glorified his servant Jesus in all of this. And by faith, by faith in his name, the name of Jesus, has this man been healed. The Holy One, the Promised One, the Righteous One to come. He has come, Peter says, and you killed him. Right? Getting to the gospel. This is all a part of the promised one, the holy one, the righteous one, the one who would come and establish his kingdom. He's come and his name is Jesus and you killed him. And we are witnesses that on the third day God raised him from dead. The kingdom and the king had come. Though he had ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is now, he is earned. We are to be great promise. And, and, and while we wait for his return, we are to be his witnesses. And the, the kingdom continues to grow as the Spirit of God works through the message of, of the gospel. And people are forgiven and redeemed and restored to the Father. The kingdom continues to grow. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of, of, of Acts. And the kingdom in the book of Acts and the kingdom today is, is a kingdom within this broken, fallen world. We are a kingdom or we are to be the church, a, a distinct, separate kingdom within this kingdom. We operate as a, as a countercultural kingdom in this broken, fallen, dark world offering beauty and light, and grace, redemption, and forgiveness, the good news of Jesus. We do that while we wait. This is the mission of God. This is the growing of the kingdom. One day Jesus is coming back just as he promised, and when he does, he will fully and finally redeem his people, us, and restore his Father's kingdom to all that it should have been. Now hear me, this is the story of the Bible. 
The Old Testament tells this over and over and over and over and over and over again. We see it in the words of the prophets. And then we see in Jesus this, this kingdom coming with the king and the kingdom beginning to be established. We, we see it. They should have seen it. The religious leaders, the the priests, the Sadducees, they should have seen all of this. They should have seen all of the prophecies being fulfilled, like the one we just read from Isaiah 35. They should have seen all of that and, and been leading God's people into this kingdom to follow their king. They should have seen it. They should have proclaimed it. They should have filled the streets with celebration and praise, right? And yet here's what we read in verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. They should have been celebrating and leading their people to the truth of the king and his kingdom. Instead, the religious leaders are angered. Verse 17 says they are filled with jealousy. I imagine they are filled with jealousy because they see the amazing things that are going on as the, as the Holy Spirit has come and empowered the, the apostles and the disciples. I imagine they are jealous because the church is growing and more and more people are, are, following, are, are following the disciples. People are healed, the, the lame walk. Verse 16 tells us as well that the word is spreading. It's spreading. It's not just in Jerusalem that, that people are talking about, about the good news and about what's happening with the apostles. Uh, it, it, it's those outside people from the towns outside of Jerusalem have now heard the good news of the gospel. They hear what's happening, and they are coming to the temple hoping to hear the apostles speak, hoping to be healed. They are bringing the lame and the sick. Verse 13 says that the people hold the believers in high esteem. They think very highly of them. They they are afraid to join them, right? Uh, They're afraid to join them probably because of what they've they've heard about Ananias and Sapphira. They don't want to be the pretenders, the fakers, right? They're afraid to follow them, but they hold them in high esteem. Maybe, and most likely another reason that they are afraid to join them is because of the increasing persecution Toward the church. Verse 14 says that even though this is true, more than ever believers were being added to the church. Multitudes, multitudes of men and women were hearing the good news, repenting and believing in Jesus, and the kingdom was growing. The religious leaders are filled with jealousy, they are angered, and the apostles are arrested for a second time. The apostles are arrested a second time. The last time, they were warned, threatened, and set free, and here they are arrested again. So read with me in verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, 
We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. So we'll pause right there. Angel comes while they are in prison, having been arrested, opens the doors, and what does he tell them? Go and hide? He says, go back to the temple and speak to the people all these words of life, right? He's talking about sharing the gospel. He's talking about, about, about the abundant life, the, the, the only real life that is ours, and it's found in Christ, the good news of the gospel, the king has come, that they were even gone, right? And so when the, when the religious leaders send for the apostles, they go and they find that the doors are locked. And when they unlock the doors and open the cells, there is no one in there. And the guards were still standing outside. So they are all scratching their heads, trying to figure out what in the world happened and how they got out. And, and then they hear word, hey, the guys that you're looking for are in the temple and they were preaching again about Jesus. Verse 26. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. This is how much regard that the apostles had with the people. They were afraid of being stoned by the people. This also gives us an indication of, of, of something that we too struggle with, and it's fear of man. They were afraid of what the people would think of them. It wasn't a matter of right or wrong. It was what will the people think? What will the people do? So they were afraid of being stoned by the people, and so they didn't force them to come. Uh, they, they gently persuaded them to come. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Right? They're saying, What are you doing? What are you guys doing? We, 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 we told you to stop. Do you know who we are? We, we told you to stop talking about Jesus, and here you are teaching about Jesus, and you're blaming us for his death. That's what they mean when they said, you intend to bring this man's blood on us. Peter's response, verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. I mean, we could just stop there, couldn't we? We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And good grief. That prayer they prayed. God, you keep doing amazing things and give us the courage to proclaim the gospel. That's exactly what they're doing. 
God is, God is by his, his hand doing amazing thing, and, and these people are proclaiming the gospel, and they're doing it with boldness, with boldness. All right, not, not just in the temple, not just in the temple where maybe it feels a little bit safe, but as they stand before the very re- religious leaders who killed Jesus, they say to them, we must obey God and not you. We told you to stop doing this. What are you doing? Do you know who we are? We must obey God, not man. They stand firm in the gospel. They stand firm in what happened. Yes, yes, it it, it is your fault. You're trying to blame us for this. It is your fault. You, You are the ones who killed him. We are witnesses to that, and we are witnesses to his death, and we witnessed his resurrection. You had him killed and God raised him up and we saw it. We are witnesses and witnesses as well to the Holy Spirit. Verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. They were furious with this and they wanted to kill the apostles. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, be found opposing God. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And here we are. Isn't that incredible? You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles were arrested a second time. The apostles are released a second time. Literally, they were plotting on how to kill the apostles. They were so angry, so furious with them. And and Gamaliel stands up and reminds them of of all of the false prophets who had, had come forward, garnered a following, died, and their following dispersed, and it meant nothing. If, if this is not of God, that's what's going to happen. Don't make the people angry. Don't stir this pot. But if this is of God, then you cannot stop it. If this is of God, you cannot stop it. You will be found opposing him. So they beat them, charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Again, they, they, they warned them. They, they threatened them. This time they beat them. Right? And this was, this was probably the, the, the typical beating, which was 40 lashes minus one. So when it says they beat them, like they really beat them. And they set them free. So what would they do? 
What would they do with this stern warning that now has been turned up to an actual beating where, where these men were, were, were really desiring to kill them? And, and when they went back to the church and, and, and they came back bloodied and bruised, and they would have been bloodied and bruised, they were beaten, and, and they told the church what happened, what would the church do? How would the church respond? Would the increased pressure stop them? Like, I'm, I'm out, I'm done. Would the church shutter the doors and windows and hide? Look at verse 41, the church's response. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one, the King, is Jesus. How did they respond? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. I don't say that because I would likely respond the same way, if I'm honest. Rejoicing. They were, they were rejoicing, rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. That they had been worthy to suffer as Jesus had suffered. That, they, that, that God himself had counted them worthy for, for, for suffering because of proclaiming the beautiful news of the gospel. Suffering for the sake of the gospel. They rejoiced in their suffering. And every day, every day with the very real threat of, of suffering and even death, and, and at the very least another beating, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus was the Christ. I tried to think of something to compare this to. Like what in our world would compare to this. The, the only thing that, that I could think of was, was stories I've, I've heard uh, about soldiers who, who, who have and who do uh, fight for our country. They, they, they count it an honor. They count it an honor and a joy, even, even in all of the, the difficulty and the great danger, to wear their country's uniform and to do battle for us to stand with their brothers and sisters and fight together. These Christians saw their, their, their suffering as being like Jesus, and they, they rejoiced in that, that, that God would count them worthy of such a thing, that, 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 that God would see them as, as being fit to bear such a burden. They were resolved in their, in their faith. They were resolute in the gospel. And, and, and because of that, God continued to move the story forward. Now, a little bit of a spoiler alert. We're going to see in the coming weeks that this suffering that has begun will only ramp up. And God will use this day and the coming days to push the gospel out, to push the gospel from Jerusalem outward to Judea and to Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth. God would use this suffering and this persecution to push the gospel to us. That's amazing. I, I love this story. 
I, I love their faith. I love their resolve. I, 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 I love it. And man, I'm like, I, I, I wish I was that way. <laughs> I would love to be that way. In the past, I would have been happy to just to leave it there, to just look at it and say, wow, the first church is amazing. We should be amazing. We can't do that. We have to look at them, though, and, and, and ask the question, what about us? What about the church today? What about New City Church? What about New City Church? As we've talked about Acts, we have, on a number of occasions, talked about, about this being much larger than just the story of these people in Jerusalem at this time. This is, this is really God's big story, right? This is God's big story, the story that started even before the book of Genesis, um, that, that, that started in the beginning, the story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It, it's that story unfolding in human history, and they are just a part of that story, and we can't lose sight of that. They are a part of this incredible unfolding of God's grand story. There story is a part of his story and so is ours like this isn't a story that we just look back on and say wow this is our story as well this is this is this is us as a part of God's great story we're living in the continued mission of God the continued story of acts the gospel's advance the coming kingdom now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we find ourselves in a, in, a, in a quickly changing culture. A lot of you are too young to realize that. But it is quickly changing. There is a, a fast-growing hostility toward the church, if you're not aware. Toward Orthodox Christianity, toward the Bible. Right? We are in a post-Christian culture. Where, where, where Christianity was accepted by the majority in our culture, um, and, and, and with it, Christian morality, that is just no longer the case. That's not the world that we live in. In, in fact, for those who look at the first church and, and maybe have longed in some way to be like the church of Acts, I think we're going to get our chance to be like the church of Acts. Because I think that our world and the Western culture is going to continue to move unless God miraculously intervenes further and further away. It's going to get worse before it gets better. So the question then is, how, how are we now responding to that? I thought, of, I thought of three big ways that the church has responded and the church still does respond. One is to build a religious warship. How do we respond to this culture that stands up against the church and against the mission that God has called us to? One is to build a religious warship. A warship serves two purposes, right? One is to protect the people who are inside of it, and the other is to attack the people who are outside of it. Listen to me. This was the moral majority in the Christian right of the 80s and 90s. And maybe many of the Trumpsters today. Many churches want to block out the world by building a protective fortress that separates them from, from everything outside. 
a protective for, uh, fortress, a, a fortified defense for, for the good guys, for the community of believers to keep all of the bad out. Listen to me. This is not what we see in the book of Acts. This is not what we see in the book of Acts as God's story unfolds and changes the world. This, this, this mentality of, of, of creating a religious worship is, is just, it's wrong. In fact, I, I, I might go so far as to say it's sinful. It has absolutely nothing to do with the advance of God's mission and his kingdom. And listen to me, it looks absolutely nothing like the king who entered this broken world to save it. You get that last part? If we are being shaped into the image of Jesus, 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 (laughs) he never had to leave heaven. He had his fortress. This, this is this, this, this building of a, a religious worship to, to, to keep the bad outside. It, it, it's the opposite of what Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17. He prayed to God, not, not that you will keep them from the world or take them out of the world, but that you would keep them safe while they are in the world. A warship is not only defensive, it's also um, able to be an, an offensive, right? Hurling bombs and miss, missiles at the enemy from, from a safe distance, not getting too close. That's what the church becomes when it seeks religious morality and adherence to rig- religious laws and rules without regard to actually loving Jesus. Religion and morality without a relationship with Jesus. Rules and laws don't make us a Christian nation. Loving and following Jesus does. Insisting on rules for our safety and our comfort as opposed to seeking redemption and restoration for those who are far from God, this is far from being loving on our part. And again, far from what we see in Jesus. Another response from the church has been cultural concession to abandon the orthodox beliefs of our Christian faith and what the Bible teaches, to pick and choose what we believe from the Scripture so that we can can appease the people around us. If we, if we just don't use those words, if we don't talk about those sins, if we say that those things are not really sins, that, that we just read that wrong, then the people around us will like us, and, and, and maybe then we can love one another. Being guided by the voice of culture rather than the voice of God. To say that Jesus is simply a way, and that's okay. To say that certain sins that the Bible clearly calls sins, to say that they are no longer sins, that's cultural concession. To leave, thus saith the Lord, and, and, and cling to, thus saith our culture. 
to even assume that because thus saith our culture, then we must have misinterpreted thus saith the Lord. To assume that culture has better answers than the Creator. Answers on sex and gender, on racism, on inclusion and diversity. That too is wrong. And we don't have to look any further than Jesus. Jesus never conceded for acceptance. Never. Not not one time did Jesus concede for acceptance from the people around him. Even when he showed grace and mercy to the woman caught in adultery, he said, go and sin no more. He didn't say, it's okay, everybody does it. To the woman at the well, he called out her sin. You've had five husbands, and you're living with someone else. Jesus never conceded for acceptance. And when we look at the first church, neither did they. They didn't concede, right? They're standing in the church telling the people in the church, you guys killed Jesus. They're standing before the religious leaders who are clearly angry because they are saying the religious leaders killed Jesus. They say, you're blaming us for that. And it, what, what do they say? What do the apostles say? Did they concede? We didn't really mean it that way. It, maybe, it, maybe that was too harsh. They said, oh, but you did kill Jesus. We were witnesses to it. We're witnesses to the beautiful news that God raised him from the dead. Cultural concession. Here's where I, 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 I hope and I pray that we land. Faith-filled followers, right? Faith-filled followers. I, I pray that we would be a people like this first church. Because what, what they did was, was, was an overflow of the faith that they had. They, they, were, they were filled with faith. They believed who Jesus was. They believed that Jesus did what, what he said that he would do. They believed that Jesus was going to finish what he, was, what he had started, they, that God would complete all of it. They were, they were filled with faith. They believed the scriptures. They believed God's word given to them. They believed that that was the final matter in in, in their life, right? The word of God. They went back to the Old Testament again and again and again and said, See? See, this is it. I pray that we would be a people who who believe God's word. I I believe as well that we would be a people who understand that that when we read God's word, it's not about about just morality and the things we're supposed to do and not do. And we're we're trying to impose morality on people. I I, I hope and I pray that we are a people who believe that this, this is God's big story. And it's not about just being moral people. It's about, it's about our failure to be moral people, even when we tried our hardest. It's about the Savior who came because we can't be moral people. It's about a, a missionary God who left his fortress without a single concession and came to us. 
pray that we would understand that, that this big story is what we are called to, that this, this life of ours is so much more than we've been living. pray that our faith and our, our love would be so strong that our lives would be completely transformed, that we would, we would be a people who, even in the face of, of danger, joyfully, because of the joy of our own salvation and this beautiful news, joyfully we love and follow Jesus proclaiming his good news, that we are, we are all sinners in need of a Savior, and, and, and God has sent our Savior. That, that this, this fallen kingdom ha- has, has no good answers and you can search the world and all of history and find that to be true. But our king has come and he has all the answers. I pray that we would be a church known for its faith, a church identified for loving others like Jesus loves us, a, a church known for pursuing him. I pray that we would be known as a kingdom within this broken kingdom. Where, where, where people see love, where people see family, where people see what the kingdom should be, a light in the darkness. So let me, let me wrap up. I'm going long. I could just keep going. <laughs> Some of you here this morning need to believe this good news. Some of you here this morning need to believe the truth of the king. That there is salvation in in no other name, certainly not in your own name and your own righteous works, only in his. That Jesus is the promised one, that in him we have forgiveness of sin, redemption. We are made children of God by him. Some of you need to believe that good news. Some of you need to believe that good news again. Some of us need to find the joy of our salvation again by recognizing how beautifully, beautifully, beautifully good this news really is. Some need to believe that this good news calls us to to joyfully share the good news. That, that, That God actually wants us to be a part of this unfolding story. And all of us who profess Christ, we need to pray like they did. That God would do amazing things. And when he does, that we would have the courage to proclaim Jesus. How will we respond? I don't know. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would be a faith-filled people. I pray that we would would love you and we would love our neighbor. I pray that that we would believe this story. What an amazing thing that we have been called to be a part of it. We love you. And I pray again, we believe, Lord, help us in our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.